ولله الأسماء الحسنى فادعوه بها Hazrat Yusuf, on whom be peace, mentions God's favors by virtue of his attribute of Al-Latif, the benignant, by recalling how God was his friend, while his brothers conspired against him according to the lexicon. Latif is a kind of gracious being, one who is benevolent to his creation, as well as one who is aware of all subtle and incomprehensible matters. Al-Latif is one who illuminates hearts, who makes arrangements for physical and spiritual nourishment, and who offers his friendship to his servants during times of tribulation. The promised Messiah on whom be peace said that sight, intellect, and consciousness cannot reach God. It is impossible to try and see Him. He is Al-Latif, he is unseen and illuminates the person he reaches to such an extent that the person speaks for him, a divine honor mostly granted upon the prophets of God. God is the knower of all subtleties and is all aware. He is of those who seek him and raises prophets to be their guide to him. His light is manifested through His prophets as they spread the light of unity of God all around them. Among all the prophets of God, the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon Him, disseminated this light the most. For it was He who had the most perfect perception of God and it was He who was completely imbued in the colors of God. In the current age, because of his perfect and complete devotion and subservience to the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, God has granted this distinct honor to the promised Messiah on whom be peace. It is the attribute of Al-Latif that makes God the friend of his servants in all trials and tribulations. Just as the Holy Prophet, peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, continuously prayed for the reformation of his ummah as well as his opponents, as only Al-Latif can be the guidance and reformation. Al-Latif is the supporter of the victim, the voice of the oppressed. Al-Latif is that companion whose loyalty never fails to astound. It is he who fills hearts with his magnificent light. Then, should we not be grateful for the mercy of Al-Latif? You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Hello and welcome. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you all. We hope you are doing well. Welcome to another edition of Saturday Morning Live. My name is Usman Shazad Bhatt and with me in the studio is my good friend Mudabbar Khalid. And with us all the way from Glasgow is our huh? good friend, not Glasgow, sorry, <laughs> Wales. 
Oh, I've messed up. <laughs> he's from Wales. <laughs> he's not from Wales. He's in Wales. Let me get that right. Is Mr. Nasu Khan. Guys, Assalamualaikum. Welcome to today's show. Just before we start speaking, it is a live and interactive show. We do want you to have your say. Today we will be talking, our main topic of the show will be about three, free will. Do we have free will? What is your view on free will? So if you have an opinion, which I'm sure you do, do call us 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. So guys, how are you? Welcome to the show. It's been ages. It has been a while. Um, and Mr. Nasir, I guess we'll start with the most interesting thing that Mr. Nasir Khan is not with us. <laughs> he is in Wales. <laughs> but uh, thank God thank God for technology. Yes, absolutely, Alhamdulillah. I'm, I do apologize for not being in the studio. I was intending to be in the studio. I think I just heard some seagulls. <laughs> yeah, you, you seagulls. If I could send you a photo, I'm looking at the Irish Sea in front of a random coffee shop, um, marina boat, the weather's glorious. Yeah, it sounds quite picturesque. Uh, it is extremely picturesque, a beautiful part of the country. And just as a side note, the, the community have opened a, uh, a mosque here in North Wales with, a, with an excellent guest house. So I heartily recommend uh, a visit. Climbed Mount Snowdon yesterday uh, wow. after inju- injury, so it took me a lot longer, and I couldn't face the drive back to London. So you're not really it's sorry a- about not being here, then, are you? <laughs> After mentioning all of that. <laughs> I, I, only on one level, that I should be in the studio with you guys instead of, you no, know, it's on, okay. on... It's okay, you're here in spirit, blue- though. Yeah. All right, as I mentioned, the first hour of the show, we're going to go through some news stories that caught our eye. So I'll yeah. start with yourself, but what, what's caught your eye this week? Um, so there's been quite a few, uh, and we'll go through them one by one. Obviously, the biggest one, I think, is... Well, there's two really big ones. The biggest one that's uh, possibly relatable to us is our Prime Minister stepping down. So he's not really out of office yet, but he will be at some point. There's been other news stories about um, Shinzo Abe uh, being assassinated in Japan, uh, but one story that I'd like to start with, um, and I think the CSR might know, th- might be a bit more well versed in this story, is of Steve Bray. Uh, he's known as the Brexit Man, um, and uh, he's a, um, a, a a strong activist who's been around Parliament for a long, long time, uh, act, uh, uh, you know, just protesting and raising his voice and letting people know of his stance. Um, but the, new, the story itself, I'll let Nasus Hub explain a bit more, um, but I think it's quite pertinent and uh, important for us uh, because it questions, um, you know, the, uh, our fundamental rights uh, of speaking up against um, uh, the pe- the people in power. So this is maybe if you could just go into a little in, in a little bit more detail, um, and then we can just quickly discuss that. Okay, so he, he he's essentially a single man who who has occasionally some people supporting him. He he wears this you know big blue top hat and European flag colours, yeah. as well as the Union Jack, and he's got a he's got like a giant you know Victorian megaphone. Mm. And he he uses a uh, you know a microphone and speakers to put his points across. So that he, what he tends to do is that he asks questions of the politicians as they are you know going to and forth Westminster, and and so he's a, he's a Remainer, mm-hmm. um, very very anti Brexit, mm-hmm. and he's he's also um, very unhappy about you know the uh, the, the state of government, the scandals, the, 
you know, the you know, party gate, corruption, all of these things. Mm-hmm. So he stands there, sort of, I've met him actually a couple of times, I've got a selfie with him, but um, <laughs> <laughs> it's on Twitter somewhere. But, um, so, uh, you know, he'll, he'll stand there and, and he'll say things, he's very funny, he'll say things like, um, oh, it's not going very well, is it? <laughs> you know, that, that sort of thing. Mm. And um, some politicians are extremely rude to him. You know, they they, they say things like, um, you know, why don't you go and do a real job and this and that sort of thing. So it's, he's eccentric, there's no doubt about it, and he acknowledges this about as well. But the right to protest in an open democracy of the culture that we have in, in the UK and, and Europe has been very, very hard won. It's been transformative. It, start, it goes all the way back to the First World War um, when it was essentially kings ruling you know, Europe. Right? Democracy was there, but only to, it was, you know, votes were only given to the privileged. So the you know, lords and it, it was not, not even women, I was going to say ladies. Um, so the working class people never had a vote. What's happened is that once a country starts to lock down um, their their ability to protest and raise their voice against injustice to the the government, that's a very, very worrying trend historically. People have been drawing parallels with the Second World War, um, with um, totalitarian um, regimes. Absolutely extraordinary that a bill has been passed whereby a geographical location around Westminster has been defined whereby you're not allowed to do loud protest. Is it is now, it actually that they can't do a protest or is it like a certain level of noise? So what I read it's was... a certain level of yeah, noise. Yeah, 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 a certain level of noise and they say that it's disruption. But um, how do you think they came to this certain... Like, what was the threshold for this certain level of noise? How did they define that? I, um, they didn't. They've left it very, very vague. So ah, if, you, okay. what, if you have a if you have a look at what's been going on, and there's lots of postings yeah. on, on you know online, um, Steve has had you know up to eight officers at time. They've they've uh, given him a summons and confiscated his equipment. Yeah. Um, but they they follow him around. Yeah. When he's going, you know, when he's going for a bathroom break, you'll have six officers following him down the road. And yeah, it's not the best use of our resources. Absolutely extraordinary. Yeah. yeah, but it's okay. Whereas, you know, if you want to have a working party with, you know, <laughs> with uh, alcohol and snacks mm. during lockdown, that doesn't seem to be a huge issue. So people are very, very upset yeah. about the hypocrisy of it. There's one rule, um, you know, used for the privilege and another used. I actually find that quite so bizarre. Can, yeah. can you imagine, like it the officers, bizarre. the officers that need to patrol him all day? Imagine they're like assignment in the morning. Yeah, you just got to follow this man, this man around. He's not a criminal. Yeah. He's done nothing no. wrong. But you just got to stay. You got to you know, literally be I, stuck. I was, to I was going to ask from the other point of view. Yeah. Let's say something's happened. There's a protest. Everyone's now moved on with life, mm. and there's still one person who continues to protest from the other side of looking at it from the other point of view mm. how do you then well, what steps do you take against this one individual uh, I mean if they're not taking the right ones what would you do then how would you resolve the situation where well, everyone seems to move on but there's one person who's just still there 
I, I can tell you the answer from our community and historical perspective, right? The promised Messiah, the Hazrat Mizrahul Ahmad, the founder of the Smart, he had he had a a rather strange experience once, right? So there was a man that would follow him around constantly, right? He had mental health issues, <clears throat> this man, right? And he would occasionally be disruptive, even in the prayer. And the promised Messiah instructed that nobody should ever say anything to him. And he tolerated it. And somebody asked him, why are you tolerating this man? And he said that sometimes when he's disruptive, he gives me a pause so that I can gather my thoughts. Mm. Mm. So, um, the level of tolerance that is required by leadership is profound. The Holy Prophet Muhammad made a peace and blessings of Allah be upon him. He said very clearly in one hadith, uh, which is a saying, and there are some special sayings which are the words of God himself, but they are not mentioned in the Quran. He, he said that uh, about leadership, that he who is not merciful to the people, God will not be merciful to him on the day of judgment. So mm. when you are in a position of, of power and leadership, absolutely incumbent upon you to exercise an extraordinary level of mercy. And particularly in, in, in this nature of democracy, this experiment that is being attempted, it's very, very delicate. And if you, if you, if you try to you know, gag the mouths of the people from speaking up against injustice, even if it's eccentric, even if it's done in a very strange way, then it is, it leads, it can lead to some terrible consequences. There are reasons these rules, are, not rules, it's advice and guidance are there in Islam, it's in order to try and maintain peace. I think you made some very good points there, Nasir Khansa. And uh, I think this leads on very um quite fl uh, fluidly to the next story that I was going to pick up anyway is uh, regarding leadership the leadership of our nation uh, the leadership of uh, the UK you know um, what's unraveled over the last maybe how long has it been 36 hours or something yep. <laughs> uh, in regards to Boris Johnson's um, premiership and his um, his leadership uh, has been quite Disastrous, if that's if that's the word to say. How would you sum up his leadership, Nasisa? Oh, oh, not even um, okay. But I think before <laughs> we get to his leadership, how would you how do you feel about what's happened in the last two three days? I think I'm, I, I have a I have a I have a I have a rather dim view of things at the moment. I think that it's not necessarily Boris Johnson himself as an individual, or even the government. Um. The Prophet, uh, the Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, said that you cannot get a better quality of leadership than the average quality of people. And God gives people the leadership that they deserve. So what this means to say is that somehow the UK, we have elected this government, we have elected this prime minister, even though it, he might have been... Um, he might have obtained a job through um, an internal election process that the public didn't necessarily have access to at the beginning, but they did when there was a general election. <coughs> He's not a foreign invader. Mm. Right? Yep. So what has happened is that, to me, it doesn't necessarily... This is a symptom rather than a cause. 
we unfortunately have allowed our moral principles to be eroded to that extent that when people are in power, they do things and they behave in such a way that it's not accountable. They behave as if they're not accountable and they can break the rules and get away with everything. Hmm. And people might make a noise and say, you know, this is what you're doing. But the question we really have to ask is that if we were in power instead of them, would we do the same thing? Would we give contracts to our friends and family? Mm. Would we, you know, uh, think that, you know, sort of be so obtuse that actually these rules apply to the masses and not to us? So the answer is there. it is possible. And it's happened again and again world over. There are, um, there are you know, anti-establishment leaders who get elected and cause chaos. Look at Trump. Mm. Not much different. The chaos that ensued, um, you know, when he lost the election, <clears throat> the January 6th. Uh, Capitol you know, yeah. Yeah, so this is, perhaps this is England and we can't be bothered to fire something yeah. like that, I don't know. But ours is it's pretty much a train wreck. I think yeah, I think I think there's some good points made there. And I also think that someone that uh, is a part of this group but is not here today also mentioned that you know how so the resignations that first uh, came in were from Rishi Sunak and uh, Sajid Sajid Javid. So the uh, exchequer, I believe he, he yeah chance yeah and the uh, foreign health no not foreign so the health minister. Um, so both of the in both of the resignations they spoke about the character yeah uh, and uh, the you know the the standard. Um, that Boris Johnson was saying and you're completely right I think it's like you know the we knew of his character from beforehand you know yeah. every all the statements that he had made in his, in his columns that he was writing before he before he was yeah. prime minister were, were apparent to everyone um, but still he was supported and even these people that resigned had supported him from the beginning so um, you know is is something that maybe the country de- deserved um, and uh, yeah, it's it's. But on, on that point, actually, what you say is so <laughs> valid that I mean, there's always something uh, behind the scenes that the public might not know of. And I think even this like resignation, although like the the public image that you want to give is that we're kind of stepping away because yeah. this is wrong. But the reality is, one day afterwards, you've now launched your own campaign of exactly. trying to lead the country. Yeah. So it, it's very clear, like what. That's from Rishi Sunak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's very um, it's difficult in the sense. I remember with, with with politics, it's just like when you go through this cycle of campaigning, yeah. where people kind of sell you a dream, yeah. and then it doesn't quite work out that way, and then someone else comes and sells you a dream, and then someone else comes. In. It's just a cycle of, well, then why should we believe you? Why should we believe you? And I mm. guess that hope maybe leads us to hopefully know someone mm. might be different. But yeah, it is one of those things. It's difficult. I was actually asking you. I, I don't know Nasisa, because I know Nasisa. You're you're like a generation above us. We're like thirty one, thirty two, nearly. How do you feel it affects our generation or even your generation? Because I I sometimes feel with everything that's going on in the world, Ukraine's still there, COVID's still there. Um, how important? How much importance do you give this? Incredibly important. All of these things that are happening. Unfortunately, I've listened, when I was younger, I listened to um, many sermons of the fourth Khalifa. I was privileged enough to live over the road from, you know, the London mosque where he lived. And so there were lots of question and answer sessions and Friday sermons. 
And and he spoke about the coming times and how difficult they will be. And I remember one Friday sermon where he said, I, I, I was a little bit late, so I went to the overflow in the, in the, in the Nusra hall, the, you know, the, the hall which is next to the mosque. And he said that nationalism will rise, not just in this country, but in, in many other countries. At the time, I, I was young, I have to admit that I wasn't entirely convinced. Internally, I thought, well, how is this possible given this and integration? Surely the culture will develop to accept the diversity of people and nationalism will decrease. For me, that was over 30 years ago. I heard those words. Well, and now I'm here, sitting here, yeah. Looking at Brexit, looking yeah. at the rise of national, of, mm. of of racial issues, of you know intolerance of every nature that you can possibly imagine. Mm. The whole point of the European Union was to prevent a second world war from occurring again, because every time Europe breaks up, it seems to export its wars to the rest of the world. Mm. So it's very very important. The, you know, forget about the, the the economics of it. You can't really, but the main objective was a united Europe or um, that kind of catastrophic war from occurring. But we are sleepwalking internationalism. And the fourth Khalifa predicted it at this Friday sermon when I was a kid. I didn't. I wasn't fully convinced at the time. And now. Uh, you know, decades later, it's happening, and I wish I wish it wasn't. So that it doesn't make me feel any better for myself, for my generation, or 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 my children, or their children, or their children. Yeah. Just to have this knowledge doesn't seem to um, provide you any level of satisfaction as we stare into the abyss. So the Jamaat has 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 been doing this wild campaign of stop World War Three. But each piece of chaos that occurs takes us one step closer. Yeah, no, I, I think it's um, look uh, at the end of the day. This is voice of Islam. We're all empty Muslims, um, and ultimately we try to practice what we preach. Um, that's the code that we live by. And I think one thing I would say with regards to this. And like you said, so you, you, you witnessed it when you were a child. We've witnessed it since birth as well, that we have a spiritual leadership known to be a caliph. And I think um, he, along with all the previous caliphs, along with the promised Messiah, the founder of this community, along with the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, the founder of Islam, has always emphasized on righteousness, especially when you're in position of power or leadership. And righteousness is a word we hear so many times, but sometimes I think we, we just... Because we've heard it so many times, maybe we, the value of it in our minds and hearts, it, it goes down. But the reality is righteousness, real fear of God, real kind of emphasis on doing good deeds is so key when it comes to any form of leadership or just living in normal. You don't even have to be a leader. I think on a day-to-day -day basis, everyone, every one individual has an effect on someone else, yeah. whether it's on a small scale, big scale, however it may be. And I think mm. if we all understand ultimately there is a supreme being who we all will be answerable to one day there is someone who's always watching even when I think I'm by myself or when someone's not watching that fear of God there is someone who 
there is a purpose to this it can't just be we're born we we enjoy life we try to get power in this world try to earn money and then one day we we, we go and even mm-hmm. when we go is not certain no one knows yeah. so there has to be more purpose to it and i think element of fear of god is what's missing definitely um let me ask you then uh how do you think uh how does this relate to you what does uh, how, does, how does what difference does this make to you this whole uh, uh, so on drama? a per- on a personal point of view no difference at all i don't give it any attention in that sense mm. of course i understand the fears like what mr <coughs> nasi said was totally valid like mm. it, it, we are going into um you know situations that we should avoid and we we can avoid but the reality is we're walking into uh due to our own weaknesses making decisions that we shouldn't but from a from an individual point of view yeah. me as usman but yeah. 31 years old yeah. because again with politicians for my my the reality is it's there's so many other things happening in the world yeah. where people are honestly suffering and this suffering that's happening is cause our own decisions like mr nasir mentioned <coughs> we voted this person in yeah he, he was he didn't force himself through the doors yeah So again I think from a, from an individual I don't I, I don't speak for my whole generation I can only speak for myself yeah. I don't know I, I think we're of the same generation but mm. for me it's nothing new yeah. and it's nothing that shocked me because again everyone's trying to it's like there's that um saying in Urdu that why are you pulling each other's legs everyone's mm. trying to pull each other's legs to get to the top yeah. so and to do that it's almost you got to sometimes say what the people want to hear whether you live up to it it's it's different to me this sh- i think for me this is quite indicative of like a a, a real state of of decadence so like real moral degra- degradation basically um especially when um you know we have people like boris we have people like boris in power and also now rishi, rishi sunak's um uh trying to go for the top role as well I feel like people re- whoever these people are that are trying to get in power need to really question themselves that are we actually the right people for the job and I don't think they're really questioning themselves like that which does yeah, scare I me mean, to a certain extent it does sometimes seem look when we do things we do it with is it best for the objective or is it mm. best for me what okay. am I doing with things am I trying to exactly. do something because it's best for me or am I doing <laughs> it because it's best for to reach our goals and objectives mm. and I think when you're in politicians because they don't realize it it's a bit of both what they're doing they pl- they have people's lives right in front of them like what all the decisions that they make affect everyone in this country yeah. so but the reality is also it's every man for himself sometimes yeah. but i feel like these these so for me i would find these positions scary as scary as not something that i would fight for it's i'd only be like if ever I was in a position like this but I'd that's be like, because you're I'd, thinking about the responsibility yes the and responsibility. because of that but ultimately this goes back to down to righteousness mm-hmm. because you have that fear that the responsibility yeah. you want to live up to the responsibility because yeah. ultimately you'll be answerable for exactly. it if not by us by god yeah. i think that's what leads you to say that mm, maybe you but know, then I, I, sorry go on excuse me so i think you've i think you've you've captured this the the problem and the solution absolutely you know accurately i think that it, it comes it, you know there are so many we're, we're not we're not we're not um brought up to have blind faith right we're brought up in the hamdiya muslim community to question continuously and if you don't question then that means you've kind of stopped thinking right yep. now there are so many arguments that we present for the existence of god rational arguments the support of science all of these things for me it actually comes down to what you've just said 
there has to be some level of accountability at some point. And it's and the root of an old word, which is sin, is um, is the Arabic is shirk, which means associating any partners with God. Yep. So you don't have to you don't have to be Muslim. You don't have to be Ahmadi Muslim. You don't have to uh, you, you know be any religion. You can be an atheist. But the single standard that you will be judged against is that of righteous behaviour. And that means treating each other with um, with kindness, compassion, justice, kinship. These these concepts, right? And I think you're absolutely right that um, politicians nowadays they just go in with selfish vested interests, and it must be because they don't actually believe in any form of ultimate accountability. Yeah. Right? If, imagine if you stand in front of the creator of the entire universe and everything you've done is laid bare not just in front of him but in front of all of humanity yep. you know good and bad now if they believed that then they would show the same attitude that you've just expressed of taking on this responsibility induces great fear and the reason one of the reasons if you want to look at an example of leadership the way it ought to be I know it's religious and not political but there are things in common is when you see our fifth Khalifa being elected in 2003 um, you know he he was I, I was at the mosque at that time I was doing I was on security duty outside and if you you, you know people can go on YouTube and watch the videos of when he was elected and it was an election like no one will ever see in their lifetimes. There was no joy. There was no campaigning. There was no pomp and mm-hmm. you know um, and and celebration or anything of that nature. The man cried, and he cried with anguish. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In fact, he said that is there any way that I can withdraw from this, right? That was the extent of his, um, you know, mindfulness around the responsibility that had fallen on him of the whole world, right? And here, people stab each other in the back yeah. in order to try and get yeah. leadership positions. And it is, quite frankly, disgusting. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely. Uh, and I remember even, uh, I think His Holiness has spoken about this as well. It's not something that anyone ever wishes yeah. that I want to be become this. Uh, and I think if if you just listen to the narrations of the people who were in uh, that election, who were present, they will tell you that we, the this uh, His Holiness at the time um, was sitting right at the back where the shoes normally go in the mosque, mm-hmm. very humble, very kind of quiet. Mm-hmm. And then now this responsibility is put on him. And again, yeah, if you describe that, if you were to ask me to describe that moment in a few words, one word would be emotional. It's extremely emotional. Yeah. Uh, and two, it's relief as well for us as believers that yeah. we now have a leader. Yeah. And again, they were, uh, what you said is so true, actually. There's no element of like um, uh, campaigning. Ego, zero ego. No ego, exactly. no nothing. There were millions of uh, Ahmadis who probably didn't even know His Holiness as an individual. Mm-hmm. But the 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 beauty behind the spiritual leadership is as soon as someone is elected, yeah. that's it. Our hearts are now ready. 
we're at comfort we're at ease mm. um, but you know that's such an amazing um, way to look at it the way you did Miss Missy do you know one way I think we here and also in the suicide side as well might be able to personally relate to this is in when we have our local elections and Qadam elections so our youth leadership so our elections, auxiliary, local yeah, auxiliary yeah. elections so these elections when they start electing you know the the guide who we call a, a leader local leader, local leader I know for a fact most people will have their head down and try and hide because yeah, they don't avoid want eye contact. <laughs> yeah, 100% always. No one wants to, no one wants election to, tonight. I'm not sure I can make it. <laughs> no one wants their name announced and this level of leadership is actually a really strong level of leadership because you're actually in control to some extent of about nearly 100 people at times. A hundred people are under your control, and you can you you can actually advise people to go here, go there. You need people to do this job, that job, and you have a lot of power actually, a lot of power. And yeah. never you would see people in our community in our elections say, "Yeah, me, 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 vote for me, vote for me." And it yeah. never happens. People are always trying to hide it's, and shy away from it. It's avoidance. You know, you know what? The desire for leadership and control and being the alpha male comes from our anthropological roots. Mm. We don't behave that different from other primates and chimpanzees, you know. Yeah. So males in the troop will fight each other to become the leader of the group so that yeah. they can, you know, have, you know, the breeding rights of, of uh, you know, um, of the, of, with the females in the group. They, mm. will, they will determine feeding grounds and mm. who to beat up and all of this sort of thing. Mm. So it's like it, it is a hormonally driven desire it's a basal desire then, isn't it it's a really, it is a basal yeah. desire it's written into our um, <laughs> instinctual behavior a hormonal driven behavior the whole point of our entire religion and actually all religion is to try and conquer exactly. those animal desires in mm. arabic it's called our nafs mm. that we try to conquer our, our these desires that make us go towards greed and and you know trying to do harm to others so that we can um be in a stronger situation and get to that third level of nafs right yeah nafs so we're just all of this political behavior you're seeing is that all the rules that we have in islam are designed in order to try and structure and bring some form of discipline to those desires otherwise they're destructive you end up in situations that we have today. You end up in war. Yeah. If you if you allow unfettered greed to take control and take its grip on society, you will end up in a situation like this. The Quran says it very very clearly. Right? Mm -hmm. So it's a so to try and do things for each other, be somewhat selfless. There are people who've got excellent abilities for leadership, right? Mm. Um, and they should be, you know, the Quran says that you should pick leaders from amongst you who are best suited to the job. Mm -hmm. Not, it doesn't say pick Muslims. It doesn't mm. say pick, you know, um, the people who have the same religious views. It's irrelevant. Mm -hmm. the, the, our Khalifa, our Caliph, recently, he held up... Um, uh, what, what's what's the Prime Minister of New Zealand's name? What's her name? Oh, well, let's Google it. I'm sure we can Google it. You've got a laptop in front of you. Getting, getting short-term memory loss from crying that hell yesterday. Um, hey, while you look it up, he, he held Jacinda, her up as an Jacinda example. Arden, yeah, yeah, just right. Yeah. He held her up as an example of an excellent leader. Right? Yep. 
because she did selfless things yep. and she seems to be implementing justice, mm-hmm. protecting her people. Right? She handled, handled COVID very well. She mm-hmm. handled terrorist attacks very well. Yep. She went and apologized to the indigenous people for um, you know, the European colonizers mm-hmm. that came and you know, treated, invaded and conquered and treated these people with extreme savagery. Yeah. You see, I think even in uh, one example that comes to mind is, is in the in the Quran where Prophet Moses, even when he was um, uh, given some tasks, he he in reply said to God that God, my brother, is more suited for this. Um, <laughs> and then that that example as well. It just it's it's almost that quality of being, you know, that again responsibility and caring for actually the objective of the of the actual job. Mm. Absolutely, beyond his own ego, he he. So, God told him to go and deliver the message to Pharaoh, but Moses had um, he did not have confidence in speaking. So he asked that my brother is better. So yep. please elevate him to the status of prophet and give him this task. Mm. He was elevated to the status of prophet. However, um, God taught Moses a prayer. So in the end, Moses himself ended up giving the most eloquent delivery of the message. Yes. And the prayer is one that I think you guys all know. Um, exactly. I, shall I tell you what it is? or, or You can you tell know us what, while we, go, while we Google the translation. In modern day vernacular, these are words of affirmation, right? Yeah. Um, it's, uh, uh, I'm translating real time. Uh, oh my Lord, expand for me my chest. Uh, and make easy for me my task uh, and unloosen the knot in my tongue so that they may understand my speech. Yeah. Wow. My that translation. So they may understand. It's really good. My mum always used to tell me to say yeah. this story yeah. before interviews. Yeah. And stuff. Do it before every every exam. And, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, and actually, we should all do it before this show, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> definitely. So, um, if, if politics is not a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It comes from the Greek. Polis means city. And the the Titian bit the, is uh, engineer, mm-hmm. so technician or electrician, right? Yeah. An engineer of electricity, an engineer of technology. Um, so this is an engineer of the city. Mm-hmm. So the purpose of a politician is to use principles of rationality and justice to try and implement systems for the good of the nation. Yep. That's a very positive thing. But people exploit the access of resources that they have to line their own pockets yeah. and fulfill their basal desires. You can see a bunch of politicians in all sorts of, you know, sex scandals nowadays as well. Yeah. Because yeah. they're in a position, you have to ask yourself the question, why is it so prevalent amongst that segment of the ruling classes? And the answer is, is because they think that they've given such, um, they've given such uh, freedom to their basal desires mm. of money and power that there is no limits they're morally they you become morally bereft yeah i think um keep keeping in mind this topic of leadership that we just mentioned i think it's a good time to move the conversation forward with regards to the message that his holiness the fifth caliph of the MDM muslim uh, community hazrat mirza masrur ahmed uh, that he, the special message that he delivered at the International Ministerial Conference on Freedom of Religion or Belief, and this was held 
on the 5th of July uh, at the Queen Elizabeth II Centre in London. And the conference was aimed at urging increased global action on freedom of religion and belief and brought together governments, parliamentarians, faith representatives and civil society. And His, uh, His Holiness, as I mentioned, also delivered a message. And we're now going to play that clip for you all to hear. In the name of Allah, the gracious, ever merciful, I'm very pleased to learn that the International Ministerial Conference on Freedom of Religion or Belief 2022 is commencing today. In order to promote and protect the fundamental principles of freedom of religion and belief. As per the theme of this inaugural session, it is certainly the case that freedom of religion and belief are core human rights that must be preserved and protected for everyone and everywhere. Though we are living in an increasingly secularized world in which people are moving away from religion, many millions of people around the world continue to adhere to religious values and it is essential that they are able to live their lives according to their beliefs and convictions. Thus, as the worldwide head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, I sincerely commend and appreciate the fact that you are holding this conference to defend religious freedom globally. The Ahmadiyya Muslim community has itself been the victim of grave religious persecution to the extent that obnoxious laws have been enacted against us, preventing our members from professing and practicing their basic religious beliefs. Over a period of many decades, Ahmadiyya Muslims have been mercilessly targeted only because of their religious beliefs. And many have lost their lives as a result of utterly inhumane and barbaric attacks by religious extremists. However, we have never and will never respond to such hatred and cruelty in a like fashion. Rather, our response will always be one of love and peace. Based on the teachings of Islam, we say to Muslims and non-Muslims alike that all people must always be free to profess and practice their peacefully held religious beliefs. Indeed, Allah the Almighty has enshrined freedom of belief and freedom of conscience to such an extent that the Holy Quran states that permission to the use force is only permitted in response to those who seek to eliminate religion from the world. In fact, the Holy Quran categorically states that if one does not respond forcefully to those who seek to destroy religion, then no church, synagogue, temple, mosque, or any place of worship where the name of God is recited will remain safe. Hence, the Holy Quran has made it the religious duty of Muslims to protect the rights of people of all faiths and made freedom of belief a cornerstone of our religion. Furthermore, it is the duty of the major powers, governments, and international bodies to use whatever means they have to protect the rights of minorities and to enshrine that all people are able to live freely according to their beliefs. In light of this, I am confident 
that those nations, leaders and organizations participating in this auspicious conference will sincerely strive to ensure that irrespective of caste, creed or color, people in all countries are able to openly profess and practice their beliefs without any fear. At the same time, as a religious person, it is my heartfelt belief that true freedom and lasting peace in the world is not possible until mankind comes to recognize his creator, fulfills his rights and acts upon his commandments. Whether religiously inclined or not, we must recognize that there is one God who is the creator and in whose hand lies all creation. And so it is our duty to fulfill his rights and that of all mankind. May Allah the Almighty enable for true religious freedom and harmony to prevail and for all communities and people across the world to live their lives freely according to their beliefs. Finally, I offer my best wishes to you all for the rest of this conference and pray that it comes to fulfill its true objectives to protect and preserve the principles of freedom of religion or belief throughout the world. I mean, thank you very much. I, th- I feel that um, that message there, so again, that was the message that His Holiness delivered uh, um, for this international ministerial conference on freedom of religion or belief. Uh, it just beautifully kind of summarizes what we were trying to say um, with regards to recognizing your creator. And really, honestly, that is the only true way to establishing real peace in the world. Um, what are your thoughts on, on, on that clip? Is Mr. Nasir there? Well, I think I don't. <laughs> I think the man captured it exactly. I yeah, mean, yeah. there's not an awful lot to add. Um, yeah. it, it's people think that um, I, I've been I've been having lots of discussions on Twitter with with atheists and particularly you know in, from America. And when people say religious freedom in America. It doesn't mean, it's not the same definition as what our Khalifa just mentioned and how he defined it. It means that the prominent religion should be basically right-wing Christianity there. And um, and no other view is tolerable. There's only freedom for one particular segment. Now, our belief based on the Quran, based on all of the teachings and summarized very eloquently and succinctly by Hazur, by Khalifa, just now in that clip, says it all. Every single word he said has a large number of verses of the Quran, of practices of the Holy Prophet, and, you know, behind it. Every yeah. single word he said is entirely justifiable from the philosophy of our belief. Yep. Yeah. It's just nothing else like it. No, absolutely. Uh, they were very powerful words, and I'm sure you'll be able to find that clip online. Uh, I'm sure there are people who want to listen to that again. So we're now going to move on to... Oh, it's so difficult to like move on to another story after that, that clip. It's such a powerful clip, but it is related to where Mr. Nasir Khan is sitting at the moment. Wales, I want to ask you guys a question, and I'll ask you first, Mr. Nasir, because you are in Wales. Who is faster, a man or a horse? 
you may be thinking, what's, what's happened to him? Why is he asking me this weird question? <laughs> but the context behind this question is, and I think he's either gone quiet or he's muted it because he's laughing. Or maybe he's no, I like, I, like, I like to have a... T- I, I like, <laughs> you've got, you, you sent me a trick question yeah. and I like to have a, a moment to pause and he's think. He's thinking, so okay, but a man how? He's yeah. a man in the car, <laughs> yeah. he's a man in a plane. <laughs> a, man, a, a man with technology <laughs> yeah. and in, in, in if it's just a race between a man and a horse, then yeah. over a short distance it's actually a man. Yeah. It takes a horse a bit of time to get up All right. speed. So the reason I, I asked this, I came, ac- I came across a news story uh, this morning of a race yeah. that takes place in Wales and it's been taking place since 1980 and is literally man versus horse and uh, you're kidding no and it's <laughs> and it's <laughs> he's looking around he's like where's this where's <laughs> this, <laughs> this race happening no. so it, it, it's <laughs> over it is happening today no 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 it's it? happened already and this year the man won uh, so the gentleman who won this year he's the only he's a third winner so it's happening for about 42 years uh, which town does it happen in He's actually going to go look for this. <laughs> I will send you the article. I'll, I'll forward you the, the article. Did somebody give it a um, quick Google? But it's Ricky Ricky Lightfoot. That's his name. He became only the third person to win Ricky the race. Ricky Lightfoot. His name is Ricky Lightfoot. Yeah, his name is Ricky Lightfoot. And the <laughs> course... named. This, named. This, so this course is over 22 and a half miles. And it's not like a London Marathon, just a straight kind of line. Uh, in fact, one of the Welsh gentlemen, his exact words were, it's not like London hills where it's just like a road hump. He goes, the w- hills in Wales are like really kind of difficult to mm. climb. So <coughs> there were over, uh, how many people participated? I think there were a thousand runners and 50 horses. Uh, and this gentleman... No, but were people riding the horses or were the yeah, horses so fi- riding? No, no, so 50 horses who, were, who were, had riders as well. And there were a thousand yeah. people running. Uh, and then the winner was this gentleman that I mentioned. He his winning time was two hours and twenty two minutes twenty three seconds. And I think the horse finished. I think he finished two minutes ahead. Wait, he of did twenty two miles in two, two hours. Yeah, that's not a bad time at all. Well, I'm you know what? I, I went out Mount Snowdon yesterday, and it Here took me. It took me. Um, it it took me two hours normally than than it normally does, right? Mm. But I would see people of all ages running past me. I, you know, I'll go with hiking gear and a rucksack and food. Mm. Like, you know, I'll make myself some rice and curry and put it in a thermos to eat it halfway. Um, <laughs> the, <laughs> there's people, they run along with their running gear and a, and, a, and a bottle of water, go all the way to the summit and back real quick. So mm. you'll find that people around here do, because the scenery and the landscape is, so beautiful yeah. and so accessible um, they do like hiking and running around so I think the general level of fitness is probably a bit higher yeah and I, I mean this individual I was reading in the article he landed at 4am he travelled to Wales um, so so sorry I, I should start he left at on Friday he caught a flight from to Manchester then from Manchester he went to Wales and on the day of the race he arrived at 9 o'clock and the race was starting at 11 and even after all of that like intensive traveling he managed to to beat the horse but he's only the third man to do it so I thought it's interesting that you're in Wales I was just wondering whether you saw this race I did find where it is in Wales but unfortunately I won't be able to yeah I've got got that word as well so it's P-O P-O-W-Y-S Maybe in the seas, as often as I do. P O W Y S. It is North Wales. I reckon yeah. it's probably towards. <coughs> is it north, right? Near sort of, sort of Snowdon? No clue. Yeah, uh, absolutely no clue. Sorry. I have you guys it. not been here? 
I've been to Wales, yeah, but I haven't. I've been. only been to the mission house that you spoke about because we we had. <laughs> yeah, I haven't we, even seen we, the rest of the scenery. No, no, we we had a meeting and it was a day trip, so we had to went for the meeting and came back. <laughs> Come on. And uh, I mean, the scenery on route was amazing, but we didn't get All a chance. All right, let to. me. You know what? Let me put it in context for you. Once, uh, in a question answer session, somebody asked the fourth Khalifa, "What's your favorite country?" Yeah. Right. And you know, people used to ask him light-hearted questions sometimes, you know, and he used to enjoy them and have a bit of a laugh. So he 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 said from a from a landscape and beauty perspective, England is beautiful because you can find nearly every landscape here and every season. Mm. Wow. So he he used to enjoy traveling to these areas and yeah. a piece of advice that uh, Muhammad Zafullah Khan who was a prominent member of the community a great politician by the way he was Secretary General of the UN between 1969 and 1971 lived in Putney um, and uh, he was also President of the International Court of Justice and Professor Abdus Salam's father wrote to him and asked him to give him some advice about his son's education and one of those, I won't go through all of it, but one of those pieces of advice was that you should travel because it broadens the horizons of, of your mind. And Abdeslam, of course, went on to win the Nobel Prize for an extraordinary feat in physics. So come to Wales, you'll win a Nobel Prize. Well, another actually <laughs> story related to Wales uh, I came across was a 12-year-old boy who goes by the name of Alid who plays for a team, I believe it's Denby Town FC, which is in Wales. Yeah, uh, beautiful. And he, he won a sportsmanship praise. Uh, and I think that the, the news story was that this 12-year-old child was on the attack. Uh, he crossed the ball. And when he crossed it, one of the strikers scored. And the opposition team, the children, they started kind of raising to the ref that the ball crossed the line it, it shouldn't have crossed when the Alid was running with the ball before he crossed it it, it was off Okay, right. but the, the goal was given by the referee the team celebrated and this Alid 12 year old went to the referee and said no they're, they're right it did cross the line the ball it was shouldn't, out shouldn't be given and that, that story caught my eye because it's it's that's a lost art in this game Yeah, I feel being honest is almost like it's again uh, I think similar to like politics it's, it's so much kind of trying to get the end goal regardless how we get it we just want to win yeah. where then like this stuff like being honest and truthful mm. it, it, you you compromise these things it's very uh, commendable it kind of takes the fun out of it as well I mean if you're going to win you want to win fairly right yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. absolutely you know because you'll always know that you had an unfair advantage you cheated yeah yeah. yeah yeah there's no there's no fun in that there's no fun in even if that. everybody else knows you he doesn't know you yourself will know that you're not really the best yeah yeah but do you think the the um success in winning overcomes that no uh, I because wouldn't. they do also sometimes wow. say what no that's I'm, the road to narcissism no no, no. <laughs> <laughs> i'm not saying that's what i feel i'm just i'm just that. i'm just putting it in front of you that what if someone says look the, in the 10 years justifies the end. In, in 10 years no one's going to remember how we won it's the fact that we you're won. in star trek territory now i mean <laughs> uh, no i'm afraid not it's not just the destination it's how you conduct yourself along the journey 100 percent Absolutely, absolutely. We're uh, reaching which the end. Is, which, which might lead on to our second hour, by the way. Yeah, we should do. we're reaching the end of the first hour. We still have a few minutes left. But before we go to the news break, there's one last news story I, that came across my eye. 
there was a YouTuber who um, at Gatwick Airport, so he pulled a prank for those who were landing at Gatwick Airport, and he basically wrote, "Welcome to Luton." Oh, so, I'm sorry. <laughs> <this, yeah>. <laughs> so he he wrote, "Welcome to Luton" on a big patch of gro- uh, ground, and as the Gatwick, as they were, the plane was landing in Gatwick. People saw that panicking. and got worried and yeah, started, started panicking. Where are we in Luton? And I think that caught my eye as well because one, I, I live very close to Luton, <laughs> and I thought two, if that was me, I would be real panicking. That, <laughs> what am I doing in Luton? I should be in Gatwick, which is miles away. But no, it's, if, um, if that happened to me, I'd claim asylum. Yeah, well, in Luton, <laughs> from Luton, <laughs> from Luton. Okay. So we've earned, like I said, we're going to go to a short news break, and when we come back, we're going to be talking about. Two things. One thing it is Eid for us Muslims tomorrow. We're going to just discuss very briefly what that is, why we celebrate it, and then we're going to move on to the main topic, which is free will. Do we have free will? Uh, and I'm sure you have an opinion on this as well. If you do, then please get in touch. It is a live and interactive show. Have your say. 0208-687-7878. That's 0208-687-7878. Or you can tweet us at Voice of Islam UK. We'll be back after the short news break. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio, broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Allah, Allah, Akbar, Allah, Akbar. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. The Creator, the one who created all that is in existence. Verily, your Lord is Allah, who created the heavens and the earth in six periods. Then he settled himself firmly on the throne. He governed. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Azrat Mirza Majru Ahmed is the present head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, the most dynamic international community within Islam. The community was established by Hazrat Mirza Khulam Ahmed in Kardian, a small and remote village in India. He claimed to be the expected reformer of the latter days, the one awaited by all major world religions. Founded in 1889, the community has continued to spread throughout the world, flourishing under caliphate, the system of spiritual leadership established after the demise of the holy founder. The current successor of this movement, Hazrat Mirza Masrur Ahmed, continues the work of the Holy Founder to revive the spiritual and moral state of mankind. The movement embodies the benevolent message of Islam and its pristine purity, a movement that preaches peace, universal brotherhood, and submission to the will of God. Ahmadi Muslims have earned the distinction and reputation of being a law-abiding and peaceful community. Within a century, the movement has reached all the corners of the earth and has been recognized and praised by the global community. Your interpretation of jihad has always been in stark contrast to the extremist imams that we all deplore. We especially applaud His Holiness for denouncing those 
who pervert faith by claiming it as a justification for violence. However we define God, it is wrong to kill in his name. I have enormous admiration and respect for the work that the Ahmadiyya Muslim community are doing throughout the world to promote peace and understanding, not just by words, but by an example of a way of life, an example of impeccable conduct, and an example of undeniable faith in God Almighty, and an example of peace and tolerance. I only wish that more people could be here today to see this face of Islam, to understand this community's expression of that great religion, and I hope that for the future you will be recognised as the face of Islam, of love, of tolerance, of brotherhood and friendship. The work that you do in the community contributes every day towards that. Let us hope that everyone else's eyes are opened to the truth, to the justice and to the compassion that you bring to our society. His Holiness, Hazret Mirza Masroor Ahmed, the present head of the community, continues in his effort to unite people from all faiths and cultures by promoting interfaith dialogue and religious freedom. He has traveled extensively to spread the message of peace and to remind everyone to respect the rights of other human beings. During these tours, His Holiness has met world leaders from the Far East to Europe, from North America to Africa, discussing the economic, social and political problems facing the world today and how to create peace and justice in the world. He has also met religious and community leaders in order to share common values and core ideals universal to all religions and cultures with a view to improving the moral state of mankind and creating an atmosphere of love and affection. From young to old, he compassionately listens to the ordinary man, regardless of race, color or religion. He has personally initiated social projects and schemes to alleviate poverty and human suffering. His concern is not just about the well-being and moral state of the members of the Ahmadiyya community, but of the great human suffering of mankind at large. The Ahmadiyya community knows only that Islam, which is the Islam of love and affection, offers a real message of peace and security. It is a pleasure to be associated with an organization, with a religion that says love for all, hate for none. And I think if you reflect on that, really that is what we all ought to be doing in the world today. The Ahmadiyya movement in Islam has been a leader in promoting peace and partnership between communities. Established in 190 countries, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community continues to preach a message of peace and tolerance even in parts of the world that persecute them for their beliefs. But this should, ladies and gentlemen, come as a surprise to no one, to anyone who knows this community. Ahmadis are renowned throughout the world for their devotion to peace, universal brotherhood, and the will of God, the core principles of true Islam. Uh, all of us, whatever our political persuasions, hugely admire the work of the Ahmadiyya community here in the United Kingdom as we do across the world. 
ਇਹ ਜੋ ਕੁਝ 2021 ਵਿੱਚ ਹੋਇਆ ਜੋ ਕੁਝ ਲੰਦਨ ਵਿੱਚ ਹੋਇਆ ਇਹ ਚੀਜ਼ਾਂ ਜਿਹੜੀਆਂ ਹਨ ਇਹਨਾਂ ਨੂੰ ਦੂਰ ਕਰਨ ਤੁਹਾਡੇ ਜੀ ਸਾਨੂੰ ਥੋੜੀ ਜੀ ਆਸ਼ਾ ਨਜ਼ਰ ਆਦੀ ਹੈ ਕਿ ਇਹ ਤੁਹਾਡੇ ਵਰਗੇ ਲੋਕ ਅੱਗੇ ਆ ਕੇ ਇਹ ਜਿਹੜੀਆਂ ਦਿਲਾਂ ਦੀ ਦੂਰੀ ਹੋ ਗਈ ਹੈ ਉਹਨੂੰ ਘਟਾ ਸਕਦੇ ਹਨ ਐਂਡ ਯੂ ਆਰ ਆਲਸੋ ਅ ਪੀਕਨ ਬਿਕਾਜ਼ ਯੂ ਟੀਚ ਆਲ ਆਫ ਅਸ ਥੈਟ ਵੀ ਵਿਲ ਫਾਈਂਡ ਦ ਸੋਲੂਸ਼ਨਸ ਟੂ ਦ ਪ੍ਰੋਬਲਮਸ ਆਫ ਟੁਡੇ ਥਰੂ ਅ ਰੀਡਿਸਕਵਰੀ ਆਫ ਦ ਸਪਿਰਚੁਅਲ ਸਾਈਡ ਆਫ ਆਰ ਲਾਈਵਸ ਐਸ ਵੈਲ ਐਸ ਦ ਮਟੀਰੀਅਲ ਸਾਈਡ ਲੈਟ ਅਸ ਮੇਕ ਅ ਰੈਜ਼ੋਲੂਸ਼ਨ ਲੈਟ ਅਸ ਮੇਕ ਥਿਸ ਰੈਜ਼ੋਲੂਸ਼ਨ ਟੂ ਪ੍ਰੋਮੋਟ ਦ ਮੈਸੇਜ ਆਫ ਪੀਸ ਐਂਡ ਬ੍ਰਦਰਹੂਡ ਵਿਚ ਇਜ਼ ਯੋਰ ਮੈਸੇਜ ਟੂ ਮੈਨਕਾਈਂਡ ਥੈਟ ਪੀਪਲ ਆਫ ਡਿਫਰੈਂਟ ਰਿਲੀਜੀਅਨਸ ਸ਼ੁਡ ਨਾਟ ਕੁਆਰਲ ਐਂਡ ਫਾਈਟ ਵਿਦ ਈਚ ਅਦਰ ਬਟ ਸ਼ੁਡ ਐਕਸੈਪਟ ਐਂਡ ਟੋਲਰੇਟ ਐਂਡ ਲਿਵ ਟੁਗੇਦਰ ਇਨ ਥੈਟ ਸਪਿਰਿਟ ਆਫ ਬ੍ਰਦਰਹੂਡ ਐਂਡ ਪੀਸ ਵਿਚ ਇਜ਼ ਦੀ ਐਸੈਂਸ ਆਫ ਯੋਰ ਰਿਲੀਜੀਅਨ ਯੋਰ ਲਿਸਨਿੰਗ ਟੂ ਦਾ ਵੋਇਸ ਆਫ ਇਸਲਾਮ ਰੇਡੀਓ broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Welcome back to Saturday morning live. You've joined us back after the short news break. As mentioned before, it is a live and interactive show. Do call in have your say be part of our conversation 02086877878 that's 02086877878 or you can tweet us at voice of islam uk. Now as mentioned in the first half we will now be talking about Eid uh, we will be celebrating Eid tomorrow as Muslims in this country uh, and then also our topic of free will um guys I would just want to make sure Nasir is still there and you can you hear us I I am still there yeah okay good so we're just going to quickly uh speak on this religious festival that Muslims celebrate Eid al-Adha uh which means the festival of sacrifice uh, and I'll briefly just mention the history and then we can talk about just how we celebrate and why it's important to us so Eid Eid al-Adha this Eid that we will be celebrating tomorrow marks the completion of the pilgrimage to Mecca by Muslims from across the world which is also known as Hajj and this pilgrimage is done in the 12th month of the Islamic calendar which is known as Zilhaj and then there's a process of what you do different steps you take uh, to complete this journey um amongst this journey there is a sacrifice where you sacrifice a lamb and again that sacrifice is in remembrance of the sacrifice that prophet abraham did uh in which when god showed him a dream that he was sacrificing his son prophet ishmael he was ready to do so and then god stopped him and said that your sacrifice has been accepted sacrifice this lamb um so that's the essence behind it so the whole kind of spirit behind this celebration is in and around sacrifice that we sacrifice our desires um our needs and put our kind of service to god when it comes to worship ahead of all other things so that's what the the religious that's what the festival spirit is all about and a part of the celebration we then attend our mosques for eid sermon and eid prayer so that is in a gist what it is um i'll bring you guys into conversation now of what a typical eid is for you how you give this importance and how it plays a role in your lives i guess uh so generally it's uh, coming to the mosque it's uh, praying praying the eid prayers which are special prayers different to the standard five prayers that we that we pray and then afterwards it's just visiting family and just making sure that we um uh spend good time with family yep. and remember god as well at the same time i think one thing that we try and emphasize on 
and, and make sure that we we do is not forgetting our our prayers whilst we're celebrating yeah. Eid as well because this is something that is sometimes overlooked and I think um, His Holiness Hazrat mentioned this as well recently that uh, don't forget to pray in congregation even though you're still celebrating because the Eid prayers are typically quite early in the morning and then uh, the celebrations start after so when it comes to around Zohar prayer which is like the afternoon early afternoon prayer uh, sometimes it's overlooked but uh, recently we've been trying me and my brothers and my family make sure that we still go to the mosque and, and pray in congregation to kind of still encapsulate that whole essence of spirituality mm-hmm. and sacrifice because there's a big sacrifice in that as well there's a very big sacrifice in um, you know you're around family most of the time food's out everyone's enjoying each other's company but then when the time for prayer comes you'll still you know, step away from that sacrifice for your, your maybe like half an hour or however long it is and then go to the mosque to pray. So that's typically how it's spent for us. What about uh, Unicy Saab, how's it spent for you? Uh, it's it's a, it's about the same really. So yeah. there's a bit of chaos as we get ready in the morning to try and get <laughs> to the mosque on time, you know. Um, and uh, we listen, we, we, we do the prayer, um, you know, Hopefully, if, if Hazor the Khalifa depends where he's doing it, normally he's doing it from uh, from Islamabad, from Farnham nowadays. Um, so we listen to the sermon, um, and then you know we have some some nice food and and spend time with family essentially. Yeah. I think with regards to uh, again because we we've all mentioned food, uh, and of course we mentioned the sacrificing of a lamb, but it's I think it's important, like we said, to remember the essence. Mm. of that sacrifice and it's mentioned in the Holy Quran as well in chapter 22 verse 38 that their flesh reaches not Allah nor does their blood but it is your righteousness that reaches him and I think again this is a reminder for us that it's not just a, when we say the word celebrate it's not our minds shouldn't just think okay great it's time off and we can just enjoy yeah. religious obligations uh, fulfilling them is a means of our celebration congregating yeah. in prayer is a means for our congr- uh, celebration and I think that's something you'll find common in both of our festivals, both Eids that take place in the year. The Eid that we celebrate after completing a month of fast and the Eid after the completion of Hajj. So yeah, for a Muslim, when you hear this word celebration, it's not typical what we hear in the Western society where, you know, it's just party. Mm. But the reality is celebration for us is where we congregate to fulfill our worship, mm. congregate to fulfill our rights towards God Almighty. Mm. I think the other part of this as well is that uh, in our celebrations, a massive part of it is giving to others. So even in this one is when we sacrifice the lamb, and the lamb is not only for ourselves, which is a part of it, it's also to giving is giving to the needy. Same way with Eid al-Fitr, the other Eid that we celebrate earlier, uh, yeah. the whole point is of um, giving to the poor and to, yeah. to the needy as well. Yeah. Um, I do have a question though. So one thing I actually only re- learned about recently, uh, again, I'm not embarrassed to say this, but um, the day of uh, Arafat, uh, could you sh- shed, is there anything you can shed light on this? So the, the, like I said, the, this um, Eid is the completion of Hajj. Okay. Hajj is a um, pilgrimage that you do in this month of Zil Hajj. Mm. Um, and on the 10th day, you will celebrate Eid. But before that, the, I think the whole kind of Hajj procedure is between five to six days. Mm. Uh, and in those days, there are <coughs> different steps okay. that you would undertake. Um, and of course, it's all conditional depending on your health and yeah. uh, if you're able to do it. Mm. Of that, one, what you said is one as well. And I think these are the best days. So in the in the time of the Holy Prophet you can only imagine it's such a spiritual journey. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's why 
it's not easy to do that's why everyone's been commanded to try and do it once in their lifetime mm. um but it's one of the most kind of life-changing mm. most amazing experiences that you would have i've not done it but i'm just going i've done the I've I've done an Umrah, which is what's known as the. Um, it's, it's a lesser. It's not really a. It's not a Hajj, it's but it's a. It's a, it is a spiritual journey in which you go to the same same place. Um, and, but my feeling was straight away after that, that I want to do Hajj. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's yeah, it's one like I said, and what you mentioned is one of those days. But I was saying that the Holy Prophet, may peace be upon him, did mention that these are the best days, in which we should intensify our worship. And that's why even now, so uh, from this morning after Fajr prayer, after every prayer, we read uh, Takbirat, which is uh, remembering God. And there's a certain prayer that we would do after every compulsory prayer. Mm. So yeah, there is a process. I'm sure you'll be able to find a lot more information. We just wanted to touch upon it because it is Eid for us tomorrow. If you need any more information, you can go online and any of our websites, Al-Islam, or the Voice of Islam website. Right? Um, just for some people around the world, us celebrating Eid today. So for them, we'd say uh, Eid Mubarak. Yes, Eid Mubarak. We're now going to move on to our next topic, and we're talking about free will. What is it, and do we have free will? Okay. You know, before we do that, I just wanted to say just a couple of points about Hajj, if that's okay. Of course, of your own free will, you may say. So. And uh, <laughs> and uh, well. Um, about Eid, right? Yeah. So the the thing were uh, in terms of celebration, the thing that's really being celebrated is that it seems extraordinary that a god, and it is connected to the topic of free will, right? Um, the thing that God instructed Abraham to do to sacrifice one of his sons in Christianity they believe it to be Isaac that was uh, you know to be sacrificed in Islam we believe it to be Ishmael and of course the prophet Muhammad is descended from Ishmael right mm. so it's an extraordinary instruction uh, you know who would on the basis of a dream kill their own son mm. That is, you know, an extraordinary instruction. Yeah. And then much worse than that, which son would submit to his father and say that, you know, I'm prepared to, you know, you you should do what God tells you to do, mm. and I'm prepared. Mm. So what this shows both from father and son, it's not really about killing and sacrificing. It's about um, killing your ego against the thing that you love most. Mm -hmm. So it's an ultimate act of, it's a mindset of obedience and submitting your will, actually. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So, and, 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 and the fact that Ishmael, his son, also submitted his own life, who is going to be subject to this sacrifice, is extraordinary. So it defines for us, the celebration is that humans have the ability to transcend our primordial instincts, even of survival, in order to try and submit themselves to a greater ideal. And of course, God never wanted to allow that at all. He was, it was an illustrative action. Right? Um, so it was to illustrate that we have the ability to transcend our basal programming. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's a very strong point. And, and just to, uh, to answer the question that you mentioned earlier, I just realized I answered it without actually answering it. The Arafat place that you mentioned, the reason that holds great significance and why the pilgrims will go there is because that is the place where our beloved master, the Holy Prophet, the founder of this religion, delivered his farewell sermon. Oh, okay. So yeah. that's why <coughs> it's given great importance. Mm, and they they fast on that day as well, don't they? Yeah, so they stay there for a certain amount of time yeah. <coughs> and then they leave on to the next step. Yeah. So the reason why I brought it up is because of people, um, there's some uh, family members and some non-Ahdi uh, friends mentioned that they fast on this day. Yeah. So when they said, are you fasting? I was like, no, I didn't know yeah. about this. And when mm-hmm. I asked people, they said, well, it's mainly for people that are in the middle of Hajj, yeah. they would fast. So yeah. it's it's not compulsory for us to fast, but yeah, I mean, so yeah, when you're on that, when you're actually doing the journey, I feel like e- even like I think some people, um, again, we're just so used to celebrating it because we see our parents celebrating it. But <coughs> it's important to question and learn, as you just said, because even like the sacrifice, mm. some people have this misunderstanding that you only do the sacrifice if you're on the journey. Mm. Um, when that's not the case, you can intend to do the sacrifice here as well you can mm. um in different countries people do even if they've not been able to perform hajj but sacrifice is also part of the eid celebration for us that we have to try our best if yeah. we can is if it is affordable for us and you know the verse that you mentioned that you know that neither the flesh or the blood of your sacrifice reaches yeah. god yeah um i've i can't remember whether it's the fourth khalifa or this current khalifa they made a joke about it and they said, you know, he said that um, uh, this is the the day of great calamity if you're a lamb or if you're a goat, <laughs> right? <laughs> it's the death of lambs and goats. So what's happening, what happens, particularly in Saudi Arabia, particularly around Hajj, is that sometimes what they, they sacrifice copious amounts of animals. Yeah. And the, the price of these animals quadruples in these days. And they have so much excess meat that restaurants and you know they, they, it gets thrown away it becomes rotten mm. so we're living in a day and age where some, something that ought to be about redistributing some food to those people who need it you're creating mountains of rotten flesh mm. and so one of the objectives that of course we have is to try and bring things back to those original and positive ideals away from the days of excess that I, we're I, living I, in. I think that's a really good way to answer because someone actually just answer, asked me a question the other day that how do I explain to my work colleagues that this is not cruelty towards animals? Mm. And I think the way you it, just... Well it, well, it is cruelty towards animals the way that sometimes it's done. It's not intended to be there, that's the thing, right? If you, yeah. if you go to the Middle Eastern countries, a lot of them, the days of Eid, it's like Christmas. There are mm. 50 and 70% sales on everywhere. Mm. Um, malls are open 24 hours a day. It's commercialized. Mm. Right? Mm. So, unfortunately, humans have this ability of taking something good and messing it up. Yeah, yeah I think this... So, again, we'll, we'll pass it over to your, yourself, Nisisab, to talk about free will. Um, and let's see how we then discuss this topic. Well, I'd, I'd like to pass it back to you and and, <laughs> and, and ask the question, yeah. what does free will mean to you? Free will means to me to be able to make a decision um, with peace of mind that I, it's, it's me who's made that decision, whatever that may be. So yeah. you want the responsibility of making your own decisions and that brings you comfort? Yep. 
No, I mean, that's how I would define free will. So how do you know that's a good decision? This feels like a therapy session. How do I? <laughs> it's time to lie down now. How do I, yeah. You know, you know what? The whole religion can be defined as therapy. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Right. The Quran says that it is a healing for the minds of the believers. Yeah. No. So and, how? Do, how what was your question? How do I define free? Define free. How, how, how do you know that the decision you made was good? Because uh-huh. I feel that there's. I think there's certain. Deci- Look, I, naturally, when you do something for the first time good or bad your gut tells you whether it's good or bad mm-hmm. and i feel and the more you do it whether, let's say you do something bad and you continue to do it then you lose that shame of actually feel like doing something wrong mm-hmm. so i feel that when you do something good if i've done something good out of my own choice that satisfaction that i get hints so to me so if you're relying on your guidance from your gut yeah. then what is the purpose of having a book of guidance like the quran or any other book. To own in to on, on that feeling and try to uh, em- amplify it. So it's just an amplifier. Uh, and also a means to get closer to God. And, and but you don't close- need to. You just you don't need it. You can just go with your gut. It's not enough. You just need you know. It's not. Oh, enough. so you, it's a supplement. I think your gut. Gut, you know, I think we've we've got feeling like so. For example, I was just explaining what the definition for me as free will but of course <laughs> keep, keeping what so you I'll, said in mind it's i feel your gut feeling can only take you to a certain level yeah it's not going to unveil the reality of actually this is why yes so you're, how what do you're you define where does your gut feeling come from from god so in terms of there's certain so for god, example so by birth by birth uh, there are certain things that you know are right and wrong and yeah, some people might say it's a gut feeling, but I feel that that our creator yeah. has put that into us. It's yeah. part of our design. He's designed us in a way that we know that certain things are right and certain things are wrong. But then the, as you grow older, I'm saying if you don't have that connection with God, you still have that, that gut feeling gives you an opportunity to ponder over actually what, what, why is it, yeah, what, what is it that I just did. Yeah. So when children bully each other, right? Yeah. At school or the playground, sometimes very cruelly, right? Mm. Are they not running on their gut feeling? No, I think gut feeling is different to what you're, what you're saying is in the, it's a behavior. Gut feeling is more of a... Yeah, but the, the, the behavior gives you that gut feeling, though. Because that's what you just mentioned, isn't it? Is that yeah, okay, but um, what I'm saying is, okay, gut feeling is if you're <laughs> in the moment you're bully, someone's bullying someone, but not with the intention to harm them, he's just having fun. If that If that child is it's brought to his attention how he's making whoever he's picking on feel i'm sure in that moment he would have some sort of feeling mm. that makes him feel that okay maybe i shouldn't do this mm. perhaps but he's overruled that feeling by making a choice so i don't mean to tie you up in knots the way i've just done well, <laughs> i'm leaving i'm leaving right. now <laughs> i'm leaving so it is the, the, what I wanted to illustrate is that even it, this concept of the freedom of will has been oversimplified by modern society, right? I think it probably came about at the time of Ronald Reagan. So defining the whole world in terms of sound bites, this is right and this is wrong. We will conduct this war in order to protect people's freedom. 
right? Mm. So entire countries have been invaded in the name of freedom, mm. but yet nobody knows what it is. Mm. How do you possibly define it? It's the freedom to vote the way you want. Sure, we have that in this country, but look where we've ended up in mm. chaos. Mm. Where, you know, uh, you ask the CEO of a supermarket, uh, you know, what do you think of the competition? And he said, I'm not worried about the competition, I'm worried about the food banks. Mm. <laughs> right? Mm. So we've are so you you're you're right initially that the freedom to choose is the essence of free will, right? It's do what you will you want to do and have that freedom. So there 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 are many you know offshoots to this subject: the freedom of speech, the freedom to practice religion, freedom not to practice religion. Freedom to be racist, the freedom to be a bigot. Where does the li- where is the line actually drawn? Yeah. But, uh, now, so there is. It's such a vast subject. But if we focus on on, I think the relationship between God and free will. Mm-hmm. So there's a, even on that though. There's a few uh, offshoots as well because the one is possibly accountability. So are we accountable for our actions if there is or isn't free will, right? So if we say there there is free will, then we say, okay, you are accountable for your actions. If the, if we say that there is no free will, then you, are you accountable for for your actions? That yes. is the right question, yeah. right? So <coughs> half the problem with these subjects is trying to work out what the right question is. Yeah. And even then you might not be sure, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So <coughs> if... If God knows everything, right, and what we're going to do, that means do our decisions actually make a difference? Because they're already pre-defined, they're predestined. Yeah, predetermined. So are we just not, you know, actors reading lines in a play? Uh-huh. Right. And uh-huh. what difference does it make? Yeah. Because our free will is an illusion. Mm-hmm. So this is the argument, yes. Yeah. It's an interesting one. So, where does your gut? So that means your gut feel feel good or bad, whether you choose to go left or right, has been predefined. So, what's the point? I feel because that knowledge. So, if God does have knowledge of that, that doesn't mean that He exercises control. That's still in my hand. Wow. There's a verse of the Quran that says that not a leaf falls from a tree without the command of God. That's fine, but there's also another verse that says there's no compulsion in religion, meaning that there's no compulsion in anything that you're doing. There isn't, but if if it's already predestined, then compulsion is unnecessary because you're just playing a record. You're not compelling the sound to be this or that. No, it but just we, is. Yeah, but you still have the choice to make that decision to whatever decision. You have a choice in the way that you want to think about something. Whether you feel that it's predetermined or not, you still choose. Ah, so this is this is where we get to it. The problem is not a, if you if you look at the problem in this way, we will go around in these circles and arrive <laughs> nowhere sensible. Yeah. Right. You have to come down to what we define. God actually is 
or what God defines for us, his own attributes that we can understand. And one of them, which has to be fundamental to any definition of any God from any perspective that anybody can ever come up with, is that a God would have to be the creator of the entire universe, yes? Yep. Otherwise, that thing is not God. Yep. Right? It's something else. But certainly not God. So any entity that has the capability to construct an entire universe has some uh, attributes that we have, as humans cannot imagine at this point. Right? Mm-hmm. We can we can understand that they exist, but we can't really get to grips with them. And that one of those attributes is that that creator of the universe has to exist outside of time and space. Right? Okay. So if you're going to bake a cake, you can't be inside the cake and bake it from the inside. Right? You have to get the ingredients, put this thing together and put it in the oven. Right? You you cannot be inside the cake. Maybe that's a bad analogy. No, no, I think it's a good analogy. Right? So space and time are intimately connected. We know this from Einstein's relativity. Right? Now, what happens is that if you are the creator of that space and time, then that means you cannot exist. You cannot be subject to time. Right? So time yeah. cannot affect you which means concepts like past, present, and future disappear. Yeah, it's right? irrelevant, yeah. You are eternal. <laughs> so it's totally irrelevant. So the only thing that you're left with is cause and effect, and you're even on shaky ground there because cause and effect implies that something happens first and then something else happens second and something else happens third. So even that has a timeline associated with it. So. As far as we can imagine, looking from God's perspective, he's not subject to that limit of time. Therefore, he has knowledge of all things past, present, and future in our vocabulary, because we have to use something. Mm. What that means is that he has intimate knowledge of what's going to happen in the future. So as far as we're concerned, we don't have that knowledge at all. We have some in terms of prophecy. We have the ability to predict some things because we have some good mathematics nowadays, you know, yeah. of probability, right? Exper- our living experience tells us that if I, you know, were to jump off a tall building, I would die, right? So that's a fair prediction, right, of what would happen in the future. So there's a component of free will which is directly related to our effort. Yep. If I had stretched out and warmed up before playing that game of tennis that injured my leg, then perhaps I wouldn't have got injured and I would have climbed Mount Snowden quicker yesterday. So I make choices, right? Um, and, And I put in effort, as we all do, and it produces an outcome based on some level of probability. So there's a component of what happens in the future that we contribute to consciously. The Quran says this. It, say, it says that um, everybody has a goal that dominates them. So we act and behave 
as if we are responsible for our, our own decision. And we are. Because we do not have the set, we don't have the same data as God. If we had access to all of the variables of all of physics so that we could determine where every single particle and atom is in the universe and continues and will be, then we would be able to predict the future accurately as if we were God himself. But there's an actual law of physics that inhibits us from doing this. It's called the Heisenberg Uncertainty Principle. There's a limit to how much we can understand where a subatomic particle is and uh, how fast it's going and where it will be. We can, only, we can only work out two out of three of those variables. So we're running on 60% at the best of times. Now, I know I've just said something. I did say the, the subject was complicated. Right? Yeah. No, so just to now, clarify before we move on. So the point you yeah. just made is when someone raises this question of uh, what's the point if God already, if everything's predetermined, your first point that you'll tackle it with is t- explaining that how God is not limited to time. Space, yeah. So that that's how you right. would start the conversation, and then it leads to what what you've just mentioned now. Yeah, so it's it's not about philosophy; it's about physics. If God exists and He's not subject to time, of course He will know absolutely everything. Yeah, it's inextricably linked. Yeah, we are temporary beings. We live and we die, and we yeah. forget, and we're frail, and we don't remember our data. We mess things up. Our experience is finite, and so we have limits. We cannot understand the subject infinity. Every time it pops up in an equation, we have to try and do some mathematical tricks to get rid of it so that we can continue our mathematical analysis. Otherwise, it stops. What's one divided by infinity? It turns out more often than you would think. If I had an infinite number of bananas and I ate half of them, how many bananas would be left? Infinity. An infinite, right? Yeah. yeah. How do you mentally process that? Yeah, you, yeah. The answer is you can't. Yeah. You can't, you can't halve something that's never ending. I've given you something very, very simple to mentally process. And nobody on this planet has the ability to process that. Yeah. Right? Mm. Do anything with that number of bananas and it will remain infinite. Mm-hmm. But God does understand how to manage this concept. Therefore, he has access to all of the variables. So when that leaf doesn't fall from a tree without the command of God, actually, I think it's a probability tree. And it means, so obviously, it's not a physical tree, because that's a minor feat. God's going to tell every leaf on every planet to fall when it does. Actually, he doesn't need to. He has greater... Uh, he has greater... Um, something far more interesting than that, right? Which is every single minute variable, the knowledge of that has to exist because he can solve the problem of infinite bananas. Mm. And out of, through this mess, we have to make decisions. And we don't have access to any of that data. Some of our decisions are obvious. If I eat, you know, uh, fish and chips and steak three times a day for the next five years, I'm most likely going to have a heart attack with heart with blood pressure problems. There are consequences to my action. These are predictable. Yep. Right? 
there are other things which are unpredictable. Co- the existing COVID itself, on a small level, was unpredictable, but on a larger level, it was absolutely predictable. There were movies about it, right? Mm. That's how obvious it was before it happened. Mm. So our freedom of will <clears throat> lies in making decisions. A decision is a choice that we have to implement because we don't know absolutely what the right thing to do is. Which GCSEs do I pick? Which A-levels do I pick? What course do I do? What am I interested in? These are slightly intangible. So what you find is you have students going to our Khalifa saying, you know, what should I do as a career? And the reason is, is because the future is a dark and murky place. We don't know what will happen. And then the strange thing happens in our community, and not just in our community, but in every community. And I would go as far as to say to every, everybody on the whole planet, people occasionally get a glimpse of the future given to them by God through dreams, visions. Mm. I'll give you one example. The periodic table of elements um, was written down by a scientist called uh, Gregor Mendeleev, right? He fell asleep and he had a dream and he dreamed of the periodic table. He woke up immediately, wrote it down. And he said that it was entirely accurate apart from one minor correction. Right? Hmm. So people are sometimes given a glimpse of the future by God himself. Because we are his creation. Therefore, there is a relationship. So here's a really difficult question. Well, not difficult. It just sounds a bit weird in my mind. But it's just to do with what you mentioned. So when people to this might say, okay, well, let's say people say that to decide is up to you, but God knows the result of whatever decision, as in whatever options you had that you could have taken in making a decision, God knows the result of all of those um, options. options. Yeah. So then yeah. if someone, is that then to say, well, in the deeper kind of physics and the world that you're from, and this is where it's going to sound like I've just watched Avengers and I'm just trying to say what, I'm talking about the multiverse, <laughs> but does that mean then maybe there potentially is a, a form of me that's done every single decision for God to know it? It's, it's pure speculation and impossible to prove. You need to find. It's a nice. It's a nice. It's a nice bit of science fiction. Mm, okay. And you can't prove it at all because there's no way that you'll ever come up with any evidence. Mm. There is something that is born out of the, the the weird place which is quantum physics. Yeah. Because things that happen on a quantum level are so far removed from our experience that even the Einstein's laws of gravitation are not in synchronous with them. Electromagnetism is is difficult to reconcile with quantum mechanics. So these ideas have grown mm. out of quantum mechanics, these sci-fi ideas, right? Yeah. Um, and and so uh, the idea of a multiverse may or may not exist. It's, it's just pure theory. Yeah. There's nothing that we can really do to prove any of it. Right? I, th- I think. But what but what you said is a point. What you you made a a valid point and it cuts through to the heart of the matter actually right yeah. that the decisions that we make we make out of 
the information that we're having, how we're feeling on the day. I might have all the same information today, and then tomorrow I might be feeling grumpy and make a different decision. The day after that same information, I might make a different decision because I had a good breakfast. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So it's very, very uh, subjective. But God does know. So therefore, in the most um, holiest and profound part of the Quran and our belief is its first chapter, the Surah Fatiha, right? Yeah. And one of the verses, it says that, it says, Ehtina Saratul Mustaqim that guide us on the path of the righteous, right? Yep. This path is the path of choices that we make through life. So you're driving through life from your current location to your destination, and you want to go the route which is righteous. So ultimately, it, you arrive at a destination which is honorable and satisfying and decent. And this path is made by a series of turns that are decisions. Yep. You go left, you go right, you go this way, you go that way. And you don't have absolute knowledge. So you try to appeal to an intelligent entity that has access to all of this, which is God, and say, we don't know what we're doing. We'll try and make... the choices and maybe I'll make right ones maybe I'll make choices which are not righteous despite all of that guide us in the, on, on the right path so the relationship is that our free will does enable us to make choices it is in fact the only thing that makes us human and the only thing that gives us the ability to develop all of these technologies animals don't really have it they have it to a limited extent some of them I guess but not to the extent whereby we can choose to run faster than a horse or yeah. we can build a spaceship <laughs> and, 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 you know, travel to Mars or even outside of the solar system. So we have that simply because we have been given the fundamental unit of making choices by God himself. But because we are limited, it helps us out and says that if you pray to me, I will help you. Yep. If you be righteous, I will be help. I will help you. In fact, I will even help you be righteous. Yeah. Do you know one thing? I I um I wonder is that anyone that argues that there is no free will, um, I would say, okay, that how does that change your life then? What would you stop or start doing if you if you think that there's no free will? What would you you just lay there dead? Because yeah. <laughs> what what would you how how what impact would it make on your life? How do you think they'd answer that? You're right, it's difficult to answer that. I, th I think people who adopt that view have arrived at a very dark place and probably need some support and help. Yeah. Mm. You know, yeah. it's an emotional thing. Mm. Mm. It's trauma, it's anger, you know, it's maybe life has got too much mm. and they've seen too much. But maybe they just need to, to have an, you know, their hand extended to them to help them out. Yeah, I think you've mentioned it in a in a very kind of amazing academic way, uh, and obviously our listeners probably can tell. But when they when they hear me speak, I, I'm not 
the best when it comes to kind of education. But one thing that's always stuck for me in simple, and this is such a simple term for me. Like I said, I'm not the most educated, but for me, I wouldn't believe in a God that didn't know. For uh, that's always you wouldn't, just sorry, bigger, take in, you wouldn't I wouldn't believe in a God that didn't know what what as in the end end game in terms of what I what, what I'm destined to become. Because then they wouldn't be all powerful. All powerful, all yeah. And that's just again that's not from my simple. It's not something that it's just something that's always yeah. stayed in my strong to me. It's felt strong to me. Yeah. It's meant a lot to me that I wouldn't believe in a God that didn't. I mean, I, of course, we believe we all believe in God. We all have our experiences, uh, but ultimately, it's what you the the what you think of God like and as you mentioned it we know God is not limited to any time or thing and I think his power as well we just don't know the limits of of it and I think if we if you were to believe in a God that didn't know let's say what would happen then how how again you can question how no no we, we do know some limits of God right God is not unlimited I know I'm going to, you're going to get me you can get me told off for saying something like that, but I didn't no. qualify it. No, I was just can giving. God, I was just, can I'll, God tell a lie? Does God is God a hypocrite? Are you asking a question, or are you about to? Yes. Go to <laughs> no. So the reason I ask this is that people ask all sorts of interesting philosophical questions, and you must have heard. I think I've only heard this from Muslims. I haven't heard this from anyone else. Like, can God create a stone that He cannot lift? Mm. Yeah, and the answer is no. He simply wouldn't do that because he's not a hypocrite. Mm. So the reason I say this is very, very important. God has given us guidance, and He's created the natural laws. He would not, therefore, ask us to believe in something which is against those natural laws and against yeah. that guidance. It some magical, fantastical nonsense, right? So the limitation of God is that he's actually good. And because being all-powerful and all-knowing means that you don't have to bother with deceiving anybody. Yeah. Right? Deception is only implemented out of fear or out of wanting to try and obtain something that isn't yours. Right? Yeah. Does God need to do that? The answer is no. So why would he give us a teaching which is not in synchronous with science? So, so we've, we've, we've got 10 minutes left before the show. Uh, we have to wrap the show up. So we, how yep. would you end this topic then, keeping in mind we've got 10 minutes left? <laughs> You're asking me to predict how to end <laughs> this topic. <laughs> I think... Can, can I ask something just before you uh, try and wrap up? It's um, Someone told me this and... and uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I don't know if either of you can can, can elaborate more. But someone told me that, that on this idea of predestination and predetermination, um, that in Islam, um, the the founder of Ahmadiyyat, Azmuz Ghulam Ahmed, um, mentioned there's two types of predestination. There's one that's fixed, that's uh, you know laws of nature and yeah. um, development and all of these things yeah. and when Islam talks of predestination that's kind of like the main one the rest is just free yeah. will is that, is that something that we can kind of elaborate on more in terms of us as yeah absolutely yeah. I was actually going to mention that as part of the summary believe oh, it or not so oh. I commend you for for, uh, for picking that up that's what I'm limited to that's all I've got so, <laughs> please do elaborate 
the question of free will came about how in religion? Why are we even discussing it, right? Mm. It is the sixth article of faith in Islam. And it's something, I will tell you how, you know, the background of why this is an article of Islam. The Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of Allah be upon him, was one sitting and talking with his companions as he used to do quite often, right? And this man walked in and he's described as having jet black hair, um, fair complexion, and he was wearing white clothes which didn't have a speck of dust on them, right? He was absolutely clean. It's relevant because I'll, I'll tell you in a second. And he came in and he sat opposite the prophet. Have you guys, do you know, know the incident that I'm relating? Yeah, yeah. I don't, I don't yeah. think I do. Okay, so he sat so close to the to prophet that his knees were touching the prophet. The companions were somewhat miffed, <laughs> like, well, what is going on, right? And this man started questioning the prophet. At the end, and it's quite, you should look this up because it's quite a long uh, narrative. And at the end of uh, each question, the man would answer sadaqat, which means, in Arabic, which means correct, right? So he asked them lots of questions. And the, we derive the six articles of faith from that discussion, right? The last question he asked them was that when is the day of judgment? And the Prophet said, I have no more knowledge of this subject than the questioner. Implying that the questioner, you know, this guy that walked in, had more knowledge than the Prophet himself on the subject. So this man left and the Prophet asked the companions, do you know who he was? And they said no and he answered this was the angel Gabriel and they ran outside to try and find him and you know they couldn't find him and he didn't have a speck of dust because Mecca is in the middle of the desert and you can't travel <laughs> you can't travel 10 yards without getting dusty right mm. so we obtained the six articles of faith from there the final one being belief in the destiny as God defines it and as you said there are basically two types and the way to illustrate this is the time of one's death. We can, there is a time that we will die and nothing can be done to change that. Right? We cannot extend beyond that. However, we can shorten it by having a bad lifestyle, uh, you know, unhealthy lifestyle, not exercising, eating badly, you know, and, and these things maybe taking part in dangerous sports, I don't know, right? So, you know, we can, we can shorten that. And so that destiny is determined by our behavior. But there is a maximum potential that we can achieve, but we cannot exceed. And I've given the, uh, the, the, the illustration of our death, but it's true for every single sphere of our life. We have a maximum potential that cannot be exceeded, but we, but it can be um, not met by our behaviors. So the reason that we worship God, the entire purpose of our life is meant to be the worship of God, is 
because we are worshipping the only entity which is absolutely perfect. And it's only through following something that is perfect that we can obtain some of that potential. It's like having a personal trainer. You don't want me as a personal trainer because I'm not the fittest and healthiest, right? You want somebody that is super fit and healthy themselves so that they can take you along the journey and maybe you can get half as fit as them. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I don't mean to say that God is a personal trainer, but he is kind of, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Yeah. So if you follow a perfect example of that, which is the prophet himself, which is what we try and do, which is a shadow of that is the promised Messiah, the founder of the community, a representative, our Khalifa, you will achieve some level of that potential. That, that's it. Okay, okay, the, the end of your monologue. No, absolutely, I think you're, you, you, uh, mentioned it very beautifully uh, and again I guess there's different people from different walks of life from different uh, backgrounds that have their own kind of um, reasoning to why they what elevates them spiritually when it comes to this topic of free will uh, but I think how you mentioned it is a very good way to look at it especially when you explain it to someone in the way that you did that God is not limited to time and then once you understand that concept and how we have limitations then you understand that actually it's not an element of well what's the point uh, it is an element of choice and i think more than anything else is the exactly. fact that it's a fact it's the fact that i think when you again uh, it's and uh, we've mentioned this before as well and the promised messiah the founder of this community has mentioned that we don't base our faith on ex- on theory obviously there are theories theories that you might think prove um, yeah, we don't have blind faith. Yeah, we don't have blind faith, but the reality you know, is we I, practice. I, I just wanted to mention one more thing, which I ought to, which... You've got two minutes. I, I'll try and do it in less. So, the word Muslim means one who believes in peace and submits his will to God, right? Yep. That's what it literally means, a practitioner of that. So, when it comes to freedom of will, if you submit your will to the ultimate creator of everything and actually what happens God himself describes in a hadith he, t- he tells the prophet that God becomes the hands with which you work the, uh, the tongue with which you speak yep. and you become godly so you obtain a very tiny amount of godly attributes Right, yeah. and that's what happened. That's why I said, like, uh, in terms of personal training. Yeah. So, by submitting your will to ultimate truth, it actually empowers you to the, to your maximum potential. And that is why that article of faith is there. No, that's that's amazing. I think that's a perfect way to bring this subject to a close with that we've come to the end of today's show i guess i'll 
thank Nasi for joining us from all the way Wales. We hope you have a safe journey home. We pray that you get home safely. And to all of the listeners who are listening, we hope you have a very good weekend. Until next time, see you next Saturday for Saturday Morning Live. May the peace and blessings of God be upon you all. You're listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Al-Muslim man salim al-Muslimoon min lisanihi wa yadih. A true Muslim is he who protects other Muslims from his tongue and his hands.